C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats, and I'm super excited to uh, announce uh, our esteemed guest this evening, the Reverend Aaron Betts Shank, who is an Episcopal priest from Pennsylvania and a very old and dear friend of mine. Aaron, can you say hi and introduce yourself uh, so our listeners can get used to your voice? Sure. Hi. Uh, as Shay said, my name is Aaron, and I'm an Episcopal priest. Uh, serving in the Diocese of Northwestern Pennsylvania, uh, which is where I grew up and moved away, and now I've moved back. So I'm excited and uh, happy to be here on this uh, podcast this evening. Erin, and can you just give us um, a quick, so we can place you in the millennial spectrum, what year were you born? I was born in 1984. Wonderful. So much like uh, camp adulthood here, Aaron is an ancient millennial. Yeah. <laughs> we love it. Excellent. I know. Well, let's right. dive into the segments. Shay, would you like to lead us into the millennial moments? Um, okay, Maddie, I have to say I'm having this complete moment of like my mind just went totally blank and I'm... That's okay. I have no, two millennial very... moments. So if you no, have forgotten yours... I'm sad because I had one and I took some of our listener survey feedback that were not always prepared <laughs> to heart and I was driving in the car and I was like I'm so prepared today um and now I that's okay maybe it'll come to you remember so Maddie please start I'll go I have two one is very okay. short um the bachelorette started yesterday one of my favorite guilty Woo! pleasures and I feel like it's it ties into the millennial moment because I'm finally at the age, so for Aaron's benefit and maybe some of our newer listeners, I am on the younger end of the millennial spectrum. I'm 25. Um, But I feel like as a cohort, millennials are moving into, you know, a more, they're not the youths anymore, shall we say. And I'm finally at the age now where the Bachelor contestants are my age. And in fact, one of them went to my high school, Connor Saley. We can Google him. Um, he was on the swim team. He had a real big glow up between high school and being on the show, <laughs> which maybe I'll post it and embarrass him. But I, my brother sent me a picture of him from our high school yearbook to now. And I was like, wow, I forgot how hideous the haircuts were in the early aughts. But he looks great now. So rooting for Connor. But yeah, I know, um, you know, Shay has watched The Bachelor, Bachelorette on and off. And yes, I have. I'm sure... It's not as meaningful for the older millennials, but it feels weird to be older than some of the contestants on such a show. (laughs) I think what, and I also, I remembered my millennial moment, but um, I also feel (laughs) like what's the weirdest thing for me now about The Bachelor is I'm now older (laughs) than the majority of the contestants. So like I fully reached this whole new stage in my life where I'd have to go on like the elderly bachelor. (laughs) Oh God. If there was such a thing. Um, my other millennial moment, which I think we should mention that Aaron has a newborn. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, and this is perfect. I knew that you were a mom, but I didn't realize it had been um, so recent. And so it's perfect. I was scrolling through my Instagram. And long story short, it was like down a rabbit hole of stuff. I found this Instagram called Stop Censoring Motherhood. And I highly recommend to check it out. And it's kind of half a photo essay of women who get photographed postpartum, like right soon after they give birth and in the coming weeks. And it's kind of a celebration of their bodies and what people call the fourth trimester. And it's like some really beautiful photos of mothers with their newborn babies and stuff to be like, you know, body positivity, giving, making people feel beautiful after they've just given birth and showing this is what real bodies look like kind of thing. So it's half that. And then it's half also Instagram. It doesn't, it oftentimes will censor breastfeeding and postpartum photos because they show 
intimate body parts, even though, you know, it's not in any sort of sexual manner. So any sort of like birth type videos, breastfeeding that shows a nipple, Instagram says that it will keep it on, but oftentimes they get flagged and especially, you know, some of these more feminist, body positive leaning sites that are trying to celebrate motherhood and celebrate the postpartum experience. They get a lot of trolls and haters that will uh, flag their photos for being pornographic and then it gets taken down. So it's kind of half like this photo essay project um, and then half kind of highlighting Instagram's practices. So I highly recommend it. And I don't know if either of you guys have any thoughts on that, but just a fun recommendation. I went on a deep rabbit hole and I was like, oh my God, so beautiful. Well, I can say, um, I don't... oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. No, I have nothing really. You, you probably have something more <laughs> pertinent to add, given that you've been was... so recently there. You are in the fourth trimester. Exactly. I can totally relate to um, how you feel about your body post giving birth. And I mean, let me just say, first of all, I was not prepared. I mean, I was prepared, but I was not prepared um, for everything your body goes through to deliver a a human, <laughs> a small human. Yeah. Um, and it's really kind of an amazing thing. Um, and then through the midst of it, you feel like, I don't think I can do this. And then all of a sudden you're on the other side and it's, it's really kind of a miraculous experience, but, um, you kind of do go through an emotional roller coaster afterwards. You look at your body and you think, man, I've just been through it yeah. and, and I'm never going to look like the way I used to. And, so I, I think that's a great thing that they're able to find ways to support each other in that way of body image and emotional support and that kind of thing. Yeah. And just things too, like I know Amy Schumer just gave birth and I follow her and she talks a lot about this, but like really simple things that I think a lot of people that haven't given birth don't even realize, like the fact that you might have to wear adult diapers for a while, like never crossed my <laughs> mind. But when you think about it for literally two seconds, it makes sense. But stuff like that, that like seems very common and dumb, like a lot of people don't know. So it's true. Yeah. Like I said, I felt like I was prepared, but (laughs) I was not prepared. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that's been really interesting as my friends like give birth and, you know, we all share a lot more. We also have such instant access to our friends. So you know, I, I mean, Aaron, we had a chat on the phone, wasn't it like a week or two, I think before you gave birth. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you hear as someone who hasn't gone through it, I feel like you get a really intimate look at it through your friends, but also another friend of mine, um, gave birth on Monday and she's literally like texting me from the hospital. And this is because I texted her and I was like, Hey, where's the baby? (laughs) She was like, Oh my God, I'm in the hospital right now. But it's just, it's interesting that we're able to, and I think it's really wonderful and beautiful that we can share both in these kind of public and private ways, these really intimate moments. Um, I really, I love that. And it makes me nervous because it makes me think that I'm prepared. But then when I hear, you know, Aaron, you say, I thought I was prepared, but I was not prepared. I realize (laughs) I am not prepared. So anyways, so Shay, shall we circle back to your moment now that we've remembered? Um, it's very short. It's, I like peanut butter now. Did you not before? Yeah, I didn't like peanut butter. Um, I'm surprised. I don't know. Probably you would never have known because I just didn't have any peanut butter in the house. Um, I know you hate raisins. That's something I remember. I really hate raisins. And recently I discovered like the most hipstery of hipster peanut butter. It's called Bliss Butter and it's made here in Portland. And it is the best thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. And now I like peanut butter. That's great. And I think it's a millennial moment because peanut butter was a big part of my childhood and me trying to avoid peanut butter at all costs and people constantly trying to force peanut butter on me. And now I like it. So that's my story. Great. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Erin, yes. do you have a millennial moment? A millennial moment? Um, it could be like anything that you've experienced or witnessed that you think is like truly millennial. Or even, like, do you feel like you're a millennial? Some people answer it that way. There's a lot of different ways to answer the question. Free form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can also pass. We totally accept that as well. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I forget that I'm a millennial until then I start hearing 
negative things about millennials and then I get defensive and say that is totally not <laughs> a good depiction of our generation um so yeah I'm not sure the most millennial thing I think I've heard is really has to do with this recent um election like what's happening in our current events because I feel like a lot of the millennials are voicing their opinions and who they're most interested in as far as candidates and that kind of thing. So um, I don't know. I guess that's not really a moment. It's just a thought. Yeah, an observation. I do think this yeah. election season has been where we've seen the most, like millennials getting the most motivated, I think, publicly yeah. and running yeah, for office themselves. Yeah. So cool. on a personal level for you, and we'll get more into this in the interview portion, but I'm just curious, um, as you know, a public f figure in your community and a religious figure, are you, and I know Aaron is quite liberal, are you able to be vocal about your political beliefs or do you kind of have to toe the middle line at all times? That's a good question. <laughs> Um, and just for you guys, so, so listeners, you know, where Aaron currently serves and where we grew up is a is a pretty conservative part of the country. Yes. Um, <laughs> so so the way I I go about politics and my belief system, um, I really center it on the message of who Jesus was and is. Um, and so a lot of the things that I believe that should be happening in our world and culture fall in line with also how I believe Jesus taught us to be. So in other words, we don't allow the poor to starve and we allow immigrants to be welcomed into our communities mm -hmm. and we support women um, because Paul wrote to women, Jesus also uplifted women, look at the Good Samaritan woman, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so for me, the way I tackle politics is through the way I preach. And if something is happening in our current events, such as like the immigration issue that's just kind of been to the forefront, I always preach from the perspective of what would Jesus do about that? I'm pretty sure Jesus would not have built a wall to keep them out where they were seeking refuge. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I tackle it. I don't necessarily use names of current politicians or, or things like that, but I pretty much spell it out in a gospel centered way. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. I Oof. definitely need to make it a priority to hear you preach sometime soon, Aaron. <laughs> so you may never have. agree with that after the fact, but you're always welcome. No, I would love to. Um, all right, Maddie, do you have a toasty hot topic log for our campfire? I do. It's kind of a throwback. So I don't know if you remember, Shay, this was like probably one of our first couple episodes. You had a hot topic suggesting Francesca Ramsey's book. Well, that escalated quickly. I don't know if you recall yes, this. That I, was a very long time ago. It was ago. a very long time ago. So I was at the bookstore and I saw the book and it was on sale. And so I bought it. I have it here. And I read it in one day over the weekend. And so I wanted to also echo that. And I'll give a brief synopsis of what the book is about in case people are interested in for Aaron and stuff. Um, but I would highly recommend it. And I think it's very applicable for a millennial audience in a variety of reasons. Um, but for Francesca Ramsey, she, I related to it in a lot of ways because she is doing kind of what we're doing. Like she was making YouTube videos in her spare time as a passion project while she had a day job. And then all she was doing it for five years with a very minimal audience. And then all of a sudden she made a companion video to another YouTube stars video that was very popular. And she was like, oh, let me do like a reaction video kind of thing. And it went viral. It took off like millions and millions of views. Now all of a sudden she's you know, all of her coworkers know that she's been doing this on the side. She's getting press re requests and stuff. And she finds herself in front of Anderson Cooper being asked about politics and about her stance on different issues. And she really didn't ever think that she would become an activist in any way. So it's kind of her story of becoming an accidental activist and what to do on social media. And it's broken down into different chapters. So a lot of it is like very applicable to her story 
her memoir, but then some of it is like for everyday people. I think we can all relate. Anyone that has a social media presence, how do you differentiate between a troll and a hater? How do you figure out is it worth unfriending someone? Is it worth unfollowing someone, depending on if you know them personally or if they're a public figure? When is it appropriate to call someone out for their bad behavior versus calling them in? I know we had talked about that the last time. Um, and what's the most appropriate way? So that those, I think, were all really positive things, and I learned a lot. The negative things, I thought, she had one chapter of the book where she basically went through a bunch of pop culture stuff and a bunch of phrases that she was like, all of these things are very problematic, including Game of Thrones, which I was like, okay, fine. We all know Game of Thrones is, we've talked about it a lot. It's not the pinnacle of, you know, it's very misogynistic and violent in a lot of ways. Um, But I always go back to Roxane Gay's book, Bad Feminist, on how to appreciate trashy pop culture stuff and things that are quote unquote problematic and be able to look at them with a discerning eye, but also not, you know, have to move to the desert away from anyone because you can't enjoy anything that everyone else is enjoying. Um, And I also thought there was a part of the book where she was talking about like problematic language, but it was centered around talking about yourself, like why it's bad to say like, I feel fat because it could alienate people that are struggling with weight issues. And that I didn't enjoy because I don't think that we should be telling other people how they should talk about themselves. Like, Yes, I think that there's some language that we use that people should think about, but I don't think we should ever be telling someone that they can't use an I statement to describe their own experience. So that was a big thing that I took offense with. But overall, I thought it's applicable. I think everyone that's a millennial has at least one, I would say, social media profile or works in an office that has a social media profile and how to navigate that and, you know any one of us could accidentally become a viral video star and how to handle that in front of Anderson Cooper. So would recommend, I don't know if you guys have any reactions to that or just want to take my um, recommendation. I'm going to just take your recommendation, even though I originally recommended it because <laughs> I still haven't read it. So um, I definitely want to want to read that. because I think it's interesting. It also reminds me, you know, I think this is just something that's overall a touch point and a talking point in our generation is what, what are we allowed to say and what is appropriation? I recently saw something on Instagram uh, that was a post that was like, here are all these words that you can't use unless you're a black woman and you really shouldn't be using them unless you're a trans black woman. And it was words like woke and lit and Yeah, there was some was of like, that. Okay. The one chapter of this book that I didn't yeah. like was that kind of tone of like, okay, where's the line? And yeah this like self-censorship aspect and I definitely learned a lot but it was still like again where is the line and being able to well have nuance in the conversation and not just ban things whole strokes I don't know exactly and I think if you even and I don't know enough about this but as someone who you know has studied English literature there is a point and this is like a an, an academic distinction where a word shifts from being part of a specific minority's lexicon to part of the broader cultural lexicon. Um, So I don't know, for me, I would like the professionals to tell me and not some mad lady on Instagram. But um, I think that's definitely something that we should be talking about. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Erin, any thoughts? No, I completely agree. It's becoming a little difficult to communicate with each other because we aren't sure what we're allowed to say and then feel reprimanded afterwards if we say the wrong thing. Now, on the other hand, you can go the other direction where you just say whatever, whether it's offensive or not, and that's not good either. So where's the happy medium in that? Yeah. You know? I think it's all about trusting yourself. Like Francesca Ramsey in the book, like one of the things that she said was not to say that's crazy because it stigmatizes people that have mental illness. And that's something that totally get her point of view but saying that's crazy or I feel crazy or whatever is just such a part of the lexicon that it's going to take a lot of undoing to undo that and I worry that people are going to get canceled or feel attacked because they're saying something that 
is so common and has, to Shay's point, maybe taken on a different meaning from what some people think it is. Like different words have different meanings for different groups. So yeah. they're definitely Well, and also line. there are certain things like crazy to me just does not necessarily mean mentally ill. Now, yeah, it can if mean we wild were in Britain, or something. Yeah. It can mean wild. It can mean loud. It can mean many different things. And I think those are pretty common synonyms. Um, now, if it were like in the UK where they'll say that's mental for when something is crazy, like then I could see your point. But um, yeah, I don't think that uh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, anyways, what about you, Shay? Do you have a hot topic for us? Well, um, in case our listeners haven't guessed yet, uh, one of the reasons, I mean, there are many reasons we invited the lovely Reverend Erin on today, but she is also part three of our kind of quick look that we're taking on millennials um, and religion, and particularly millennials and the Christian religion. Uh, So I am bringing two hot topics to the table today. I know, I was prepared with something. related to uh, Christianity and millennials. And the first, um, I actually became aware of this through a former guest of the pod, Jillian Richardson's uh, newsletter, The Joy List. And this is about a community organization called NUNS, N-U-N-S, and NUNS, N-O-N-E-S. And um, it's really interesting. And it basically, it's a faith group that is composed of nuns or millennials, those who check none for your spiritual beliefs on a census and then actual, you know, women in religious life. Um, And it's just really neat. They're creating all kinds of conversations across the country, both in person and virtual uh, to help millennials and other young people find uh, their particular brand of spirituality, whatever that is. And there's a beautiful video on their site. And one of the, um, sisters, I'm going to say for the nuns, uh, she talks about how it's not that young people today and millennials are actually atheists or agnostics. It's more that they don't have a word to describe what their spirituality is. And these nuns are helping them find that. And the other thing that I really liked is that, um, you know, a sad fact about the, uh, female religious life in the Catholic church is there aren't a lot of young people joining it. So that means that these nuns sisters in the group are, um, you know, I would say certainly uh, Gen X and above, if not boomer and above. Uh, so it really becomes kind of an intergenerational gathering as well. So I, I really loved that. And then the other thing I found, and Matt, you'll have to correct me if I mentioned this before, but there's a publishing company called Alabaster Co., which is a Christian publishing company who are publishing the Gospels. They've done the Gospels, uh, Psalms, Romans, and Proverbs in these kind of like very beautiful Instagrammable editions with these lovely kind of stock photography, almost a Scandinavian vibe to them um, in the hopes to, you know, bring more people to the Word of God. And I was just, you know, interested uh, in hearing Erin's opinion on if she feels like materials like this are helpful or, you know, what kind you know she does as master to bring millennials uh into the fold i guess that's kind of a very broad question but you know there we have it (laughs) so the so what was the nun was there a nun's question in there uh well i just i think it's the same thing i mean for you what are you finding with your millennial members of your church are they are you able to kind of have access to these N-O-N-E-S's um, or are you finding that people just kind of fall through the cracks because they aren't able to really identify their spiritual leaning? Yeah, um, I think that's that's really, for somebody, first of all, I, I come at everything from the perspective of, you know, I'm an Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. And so my understanding comes largely through the Episcopal Church. Um, having said that, though, um, oh, something. Sorry, I didn't realize that was going to come up for oh. everyone right now. <laughs> Sorry, like, edit that out. Although uh, I'm going to no send worries. you the other thing right now, Maddie, so you have it. All okay. right. All right, done. I will stop. Um, so when it comes to to millennials and um 
being involved in the church or going to church, there are multiple things there. Number one, there aren't that many right now, as people know. And so that sends a lot of church people into panic mode that the church is dying and all those kinds of things. Um, I'm not convinced that that's the case. Um, but I do understand that in the millennial life, and, and we certainly know this, there's a lot of things in our lives right now that we have to devote time and energy to. Um, and so there's soccer practice, there's sleeping, there's all kinds of things, farmer's markets, that kind of thing. So you look at church attendance and you say, where are the millennials? They're busy. <laughs> They're not like our grandparents who are retired to and do. all the time in the world. Yeah. Um, so I think that's not an accurate measure of the spirituality of young people. I think people see there's nobody in church, so nobody believes anything anymore. And I don't think that's the case. I think sometimes we have to find other ways to reach the millennial generation aside from just show up on Sunday mornings in our churches. And I um, think, oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 go ahead. I was say, I think that then leads into the second item that I brought to the table, which is this Alabaster Publishing Company. And part of what they talk about, or at least the article in which I originally heard about them, was that millennials are tend, even if they're still looking kind of under the Christian umbrella, they're forming their own small groups where then they need these types of kind of materials to lead them through study of the scripture or whatever. As opposed you to would never joining see these people. an organized yeah, exactly. church or something. Show up in church. Which I think yeah. we talked about this a little bit on Emily's episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's great to have those kinds of materials, but unless you have somebody who's willing to lead them to it, um, they're worthless. So, yeah. so I think that you have to be able to find at least a community. Number one, people are looking for communities where they belong. They have a sense of belonging. They have a sense of being wanted and needed. Um, unfortunately, you see all these hate groups um, out there right now. And why do some people who come from perfectly fine families join these hate groups? Because they suddenly feel belong. They belong somewhere. Um, and we want people to feel like they are a part of a Christian community uh, where they are getting um, a sense of love and support, um, both spiritually and personally. Um, and so, so that's one way that you can, you can make sure that you have a millennial cohort of sorts, you know, where you can get together and talk about whatever's happening in your life. Um, and that's another thing, the gospel back in when we were in church, I don't know how you guys were, but I was forced to go to church every Sunday. So, as was I, um, and Wednesdays. <laughs> My dad dragged me and my sister there every Sunday. I did not tell you um, anything that was really happening in the sermon or anything like that. And that was the day and the age. Um, nowadays, a lot of what I focus on when I'm preaching is how is scripture applicable to your life? How is God working and alive in your everyday experiences and your relationships with others. Um, and so I think, again, it brings in that sense of belonging factor uh, where people can feel as though God does matter to my life. And so it's important for me to be part of a community where other people feel the same. Um, yeah, I, there are, like I said, there are a lot of materials out there and I think they're all great. Uh, well, not, not, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> some of them are great. Um, some of them are a little crazy. And I use that word, in, you know, the way that you probably shouldn't. But yeah. um, it's all right. <laughs> no judgment. Here. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you really have to sift through some of that, too. So if you are part of a community where you can sift through things together, I think that makes it all the more alive. Um, Rachel Held Evans, who is one of my um, favorite current writers, who just recently died, actually. Um, she was admitted. I read her. To yeah. Her obit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she went into, you know, a coma and died just for a, the flu and a UTI. She had a bad uh, reaction to some kind of medication or something. But um, she wrote this book, Searching for Sunday. 
and she talks about how she grew up in an evangelical uh, household and really kind of drifted away from the church, drifted away from God, and then all of a sudden found it again and how it brought so much meaning to her life uh, later on when she could really appreciate it and wrestle with some of the questions that she had. Um, But she wouldn't have been able to do that without taking an initial step towards a community where she felt she belonged. So, um, and then you see a lot of the resources that come out in her book that she talks about her personal experiences, which are great. So I would highly recommend that Rachel had held Evan's book searching for Sunday. Um, for a we will be okay. sure to link that in the show notes. Erin, do you have a hot topic or can we delve right into our interview with you? Since you we can were... dive right in. Okay, great. <laughs> so I'd love to start, um, if you can just kind of tell us your journey as a Christian and your journey kind of, um, and I know, unfortunately, you haven't been able to listen to the episode. I think... Um, Listeners, at the time we're recording this, we have not yet released our episode with uh, Emily Hudson, which talks about um, my friend Emily's experience, unfortunately, a negative experience with an evangelical church in disguise as kind of a non-denominational church where she was basically asked to leave for questioning, um, you know, her role and the role of women in the church and speaking up against kind of some uh unsavory leaders in this mega church the southern mega church and also our um episode with terrence who went to great lengths to leave the mormon church on good terms given that he is a young gay man and he has great respect for his the faith of his family but also it was not a place a safe or healthy place for him to live so one of the reasons we were so excited to have you on is to hear your journey and i know it's you know, is a long one from you certainly did not, I think, start at like 18 years old in college thinking you were going to be an Episcopalian priest. (laughs) Um, So we'd love to hear that journey. And then, you know, hear your thoughts on both kind of the positive and negative aspects of not of Christianity, which is a bit broad, but of, you know, being a young person and practicing um, in, you know, our society. Sorry, I'm just making notes for your. your oh, no, it's great. Topic. It was a lot. It's a great. Long, you were an excellent guest. Long winded yeah. <laughs> question. I think, yeah. like, to echo Shay's point, too, like, we we had a couple, like, Terrence came on and he went into great lengths to talk about his experience. And then we had Emily who reached out to say, I also had a negative experience, but in a very different way of Terrence was trying to leave the church because it wasn't serving him and Emily was desperately trying to stay within her church community but they were not accepting of her and we wanted to bring you on to talk about you know why as a liberal person it might seem a little antithetical to people that you are so accepting so that goes to the positive and negative aspects of Shay's question but I think before we get to all of that maybe talking about what has led you to this place? How did you decide to become an Episcopalian priest? And also, because I'm ignorant and I grew up Catholic, what does it mean to be an Episcopalian? And how does that differ <laughs> from other denominations? Because I personally have no idea. So I imagine the listeners might also be like, what? Yeah, well, number one, it's hard to say. So <laughs> the name <laughs> Episcopal usually stumble, it makes people stumble. Um, well, I actually grew up as a Lutheran. Um, and so I, w- I had no connection whatsoever to the Episcopal Church. Um, and I, like I mentioned before, my dad had made me uh, go every Sunday with my sister. And um, for better or worse, you know, um, obviously something stuck there, even though I was forced to go <laughs> some Sundays where I didn't want to. Um, but I was always active in the church as a youth. Uh, that was where... Uh, the old folks, I had so many grandparents in that church, you know, um, and so they had nurtured and supported me uh, throughout my youth there. And um, some of them had even said, I think you'll be a pastor someday. And to which I laughed and said, you, I hate to use the word again, but you're crazy. <laughs> um, We've now made you so self-conscious. We I know. I, 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 <laughs> it's illustrating my point. 
great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I went to college um, and majored in communication because I wanted to go into journalism. Um, and it wasn't until I had kind of a negative experience with uh, a person I was dating at the time. Um, he was emotionally, physically abusive. And so um, I went through a, a, a long time of struggle with that experience. And the only thing that really allowed me to make sense of it was coming back to my faith life. And I remember talking to my college chaplain about it at the time, you know, you're sitting there and you just feel desperate, you feel alone, you feel um, that nobody cares. And he said, uh, and I'll never forget it, God is with you. And it was just this peace that came over me and I thought, wow, I've never thought of God in that way. Um, I've never thought of God as being personally caring and with me and walking with me through my struggle. Um, God had always been something that was removed and far away and probably didn't even know who I was. And it was kind of that experience and that incident where it started my journey more into questions, more into discernment. Um, and so it was, it was still a few years later where I finally gave in, as I say, <laughs> to um, thinking about becoming a priest. And the reason why I found the Episcopal Church is because I knew the uh, priest in my hometown, who is actually now my bishop. Um, and uh, so he kind of said, why don't you consider going to an Episcopal seminary, which is general seminary, which is where Shay and I um, were able to room with each other for a period of time. Really um, cement our friendship. Yeah. And by the way, I think Aaron, you're being a little modest about your education. Uh, Aaron <laughs> has multiple master's degrees. She is one of the smartest, uh, most brilliant people I know. Um, knows so much about the church and many other things. So I just wanted to uh, brag on you a little bit. We so love it. I do this with Shay yeah. too, because Shay also has multiple master's degrees. And I'm always <laughs> like, Shay has two master's. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Sometimes we can brag about others more than we can brag about ourselves. I know. Yeah, it, it's always kind of an awkward thing when you bring up the fact, oh, well, I've, I've got a couple. But anyway, <laughs> um, so just to give you a background on the Episcopal Church, uh, the Episcopal Church is actually, um, it was formed out of the Church of England. Oh, So uh, you may remember the royal wedding recently. Oh, do I ever. Oh, yes. yes. The Cemented in my brain. <laughs> the preacher was Michael Curry, who is our presiding bishop. Oh, my God. Yeah. Celeb yeah. status. I love it. Yeah. So that's the connection there. Is that's that, great. You know, we're, we're very British. We're very Anglican. So um, so that's a great thing. And then we have a great history, too. So did which... it start just for like a brief history lesson? So the Church of England was in England. And then did they then people came to America and started the Episcopal Church in America? Or how did that, like, migration yeah. happen? Yeah, it, it was, um, so when the colonies were formed and things, you, of course, had people from England coming over, and they brought with them the Anglican Church. And then eventually, we kind of became our own, the Episcopal Church. Um, but we still have what we call the uh, Anglican Communion, which is the worldwide uh, Anglican Church with all the roots coming from the Church of England who get together. Um, and the Archbishop of Canterbury doesn't necessarily have jurisdiction or say over what we do, but we still we still like to say yeah. that, you know, we're all part of the family. You respect we, what he does. Yes. <laughs> and Maddie, um, the Episcopalian Church and the Anglican Church are what happened when King Henry VIII was like, I'm going to have me some more wives. Yes, I did know and that. He, okay, just making I know sure more that about we're the all church. on the same page. Yeah, though. no, it's good, okay. especially for our listeners, because I, I know more about the Church of England, and I just recently started watching The Crown, and I've gone on a very deep dive. Oh, oh my good. gosh, that's so good. Um, so good. I'm watching it right now, too, Maddie. We'll have to text you text. Prince Philip was such a babe. Anyways, topic for another time. <laughs> um <laughs> Anyways, yes, I knew more about the Church of England, but I didn't realize the connection with the Episcopalian Church. Um, yeah. But this is great, and, and I think it's good to delineate between the t the different types, because I think, like, growing up Catholic, 
for a long time, I assumed all of Christianity was like that. And so I think for our millennial audience, a lot of people don't realize that there is this diversity within the Christian community. So I think it's good that we're talking about the history and everything. Yeah, and if you were to uh, walk into an Episcopal church on Sunday um, and experience worship there, it would feel very Catholic to you, I think. Um, a lot of Catholics Your say that. It felt very Catholic to me. Yes. <laughs> it's very liturgical. We do all this standing, sitting, kneeling. Yes. Um, but you allow and, women priests. Hey, that's right. we love it. <laughs> and, and we also allow for uh, gay clergy to serve as well. Um, and so Praise I think be. that's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're studying at General Theological Seminary in New York City. And at this point, at what point in that journey did you feel called to the priesthood? And was there a story behind that? I can't say that there was this, you know, epiphany that I had, this moment where the clouds parted and God's voice came down. Um, that never happened for me. It was just, it was always this feeling that I should think about and pray about, um, becoming a priest. Um, and so when I finally kind of gave in and had the conversation with my Bishop, all of a sudden I felt this peace come over me that I had made the right decision and that I was on the right path. Um, and so, you know, several years later, here we are. <laughs> so, um, and being a priest has its pros and has its cons as well. Um, you know, certainly, it's great to be able to serve others and to teach people about loving one another and, and about God's love and how God is with them. Um, but it's also difficult because some people just don't want to hear about any of that. Um, they don't care or it just doesn't resonate. And so you get a lot you have, of haters. Uh, I don't think haters is the word, but I think there are a lot of people who are just not receptive just, to the message. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's just not important to them. And, and actually, sometimes when I tell people I'm a priest, number one, if they're Catholic, they're weirded out because I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. But then also they're weirded <laughs> out because um, they don't they don't want to talk to a religious yeah. person. Do you feel like people walk on eggshells around you? Like they think like if you're like at a barbecue or somewhere like casual and people are like, oh, there's a priest here. We can't like throw down. Like, do you get any of that, those vibes oh, where people kind of like yeah. put you on a pedestal? Yes, sometimes, definitely. Yeah. But let me just note, for the six months I lived with Aaron at the seminary, uh, those seem kids like a good time. throw down better than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, so, they always got the good... Leave that right there. They always had the good cocktails. In yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So you joined the church, and I'm curious, what is your day-to-day -day job I don't think people realize like how much priests do so obviously you're preaching on Sundays but what it's a full-time job I assume being a priest yes. so what do you yeah. do all day <laughs> well it really it really varies um I have a lot of meetings surprisingly which I was not prepared for to have <laughs> as many meetings um and so you know you have to run the church so you have meetings with different various groups and stuff like that. But then also you do a lot of um, community events. You know, I'm on several boards uh, for our, like our women's crisis shelter. And I help out with um, some of the children's groups um, in our community. And so as a, an authoritative religious figure, I think that's really important to be able to represent that in, in our secular groups as well. Um, but then also you have... Uh, needs that come up in the parish. So, you know, hospital visitations, um, visiting the sick and that kind of thing, um, as well as what we do for outreach. So um, whatever kind of ministry events happen there too. It's, it's really, the best part about the job is that it isn't a nine to five, you know, you have a desk here and you work here. I mean, it's really, you, you have to like people um, in order to do it. Um, but then also you have to also know that you're always on call too. I mean, I've, I've already gotten a few, um, incidences where unfortunately a, a woman's son overdosed mm -hmm. and she had to call me, you know, 1130 at night. And, um, so that was really hard and difficult, but in order, but the, to, 
think that that I was top of her list of people to call in that moment is really a humbling experience. Um, Just kind of shows, yeah, where her strength comes from. Um, Now, how do you find that? I I feel like that's such, and I don't want to call it an emotional burden, but such a thing to carry um, to be this person for so many people in your community. And your husband is also an Episcopalian priest. So how do you guys, (laughs) yeah. Um, how do you help each other shoulder that and, and support each other when you're both dealing with so much in your professional lives? Yeah. Just ask some personal questions about your relationship. Hey, Jason. (laughs) So, um, that is very, that is a very, uh, real struggle and concern at times, you know, if we're both dealing with some heavy stuff, I think in that instance, it's good to, um, have outlets, uh, to have colleagues, you know, people that you trust to be able to, to share the load with sometimes, or even just to release yourself from it as well. And then of course, prayer. You know, we ask God to lift some of those things off of our heart and mind as well. So, um, yeah, it's like with anything that you're struggling with, you you want to, well, not that you're struggling with, but with people that you see are struggling, you want to empathize with them. And so your your walk with them sometimes can feel ju- almost as painful as where they are too. And so um, it can be difficult, but we've been able to, navigate so far so ask me in about 15 years where I am so okay I'll check in (laughs) so going back to one of Shay's initial questions based on the two previous people that we had talked to and kind of their experience what do you say to people that think that you know maybe they're looking for community they're looking for this belonging maybe they had a religious upbringing and a part of them does have a spiritual life and they do believe in God but they think Christianity is for bigoted people. It's not for the 21st century. Christians are small-minded, any of the above things that I'm sure people have talked to you about in the past. What do you say to those people that have those thoughts? Well, it's really hard to have conversations with people who their only exposure to any kind of religion or faith community is exactly what we're talking about, the bigoted, um, the closed-minded, the judgmental um, groups. And so I always tell people, you know, don't let that be your only voice in your head. Um, Go out and try a different church. Do some research. Ask people that you know and trust if they belong to a faith community and what is it and why do they like it? Um, Because we're not all like that. We have the smaller voice, it seems, because it seems like the only loud voices out there are the ones that are conservative and um, cause more division than they do unity. And so um, we are out there with the opposite message (laughs) and um, are hoping to spread more love um, and acceptance than the opposite. So, and, and I, again, I come back to that is Jesus's message. You know, people talk about particularly the gay issue, and I would say, well, what did Jesus say about that? Hmm. Jesus said nothing about the gay issue. So I think we love it. Yeah. Some people would disagree with you that he said nothing. Well, what he did say was love your neighbor as yourself. So (laughs) I love it. I love that one. That's one of the greatest hits. Knows not only everything about the Bible, but everything about biblical history, everything about. the church history. So you cannot best turn an argument to be like, well, did you know in 892 AD? And I'm just yeah. like, yes, yes, girl. Serve um, up. Trust me, I do not know as much as Shay is telling people that I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I think you're so no, right. I think um, it's, it's good to take a step back too, because I think people don't realize that to become any sort of faith leader, but certainly to go to a seminary, you actually have to study the Bible and learn it. It's not like you sit there one day and you're just like beamed down by God and they're like, suddenly you're a priest. Like it takes actual scholarly work to be able to do this. I don't think people realize, like I didn't realize growing up that like even Catholic priests have to study something like they go to seminary as well. I just thought it was like this old guy that like, you know, he was chosen by God and suddenly had all the answers, but that's not the case (laughs) at all. No. (laughs) And, 
I think what has always been so impactful, um, and I, I'm trying to just not have this be like a love on Aaron fest, even <laughs> though I always want to do that. Uh, but what I've over, you know, more than God, two decades that we've been friends, but particularly the last decade, um, what's always been so impressive to me is, is knowing your breadth and depth of knowledge that you, you can know about atrocities that the church did during the age of Caesar or whatever, and still find a place in your modern heart for Jesus and for God and, um, and even atrocities that the church committed not that long ago. Um, and I don't know if that's something you can speak a little bit to, but it's always been so powerful for me to see you live that. Yeah. So, um, sometimes when I talk to largely millennial groups, um, and and I say, why don't you go to church? And they say, well, I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites. And my response is, yeah, it is. It is full of hypocrites because we're all broken people. And that's why the church exists is because we need to be able to be in a community where we recognize what growing areas we still need to work on. Um, if I didn't have the church or God in my life or to be able to, to remind myself it's not all about me all the time, um, I would be a much different person and probably would be doing a lot of terrible things. So, um, so I think, I think that's one thing we need to be reminded that we are all broken. We're not perfect. And when you walk into a church, the expectation should not be that you're now suddenly perfect. Um, the expectation is that we're all learning and have questions and we're growing together because we never, we never stay in one place. We're always moving towards something. Um, and so when you look at all the things that the church has done where they've had failures in certain areas, yeah, they suck and they're horrible. Um, but let's hope that we've learned from that and we're able to change and do better things for ourselves in the future. So what would you say if someone's looking for a faith community and maybe they're taking your advice of asking people in their communities what their faith communities are, thinking about, you know, not just taking their childhood church as the only data point that they consider, what would be your top three things maybe about your parish that you lead or just churches in general that you think, you know, if you were looking for a place of worship that would be really impactful for you to want to stay? Well, number one, you can learn a lot about a church in the first 10 minutes of walking in a building. Oh, I love it. If if, if you walk in and nobody greets you, get out. Ooh. It's not a place you want to be. Yes. Um, I like that. <laughs> Me too. Um, you know, I, you, you want to feel welcomed and you want to feel instantly that people um, want to be with you on your journey there. Um, and that would be my first thing. Uh, the second thing would be do some research. See what that church is doing. If they're out in the community doing things for other people and for the youth in your community and making an impact, that's probably a church you want to belong to versus a church that is just in it for themselves. And unfortunately, you'll have you'll have that too. Um, and the third thing I would say is when you go into a church and say it's not the denomination that you're familiar with or you grew up with, um, go in with an open mind. See how it feels. It's almost like trying on a pair of shoes. See how it fits. Um, because in the one, on the one hand, it's good that we have so many different churches because not God does not speak to everybody in the same way. And so sometimes you might feel that this denomination fits better than this denomination. That's how I felt when I made this switch from the Lutheran church to the Episcopal church. Um, but I mean, I could go into one Episcopal church in this town and an Episcopal church in this town, and they could be completely different. So mm -hmm. it just, it just kind of depends. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because again, for me being raised Catholic, it's very hard for me to even consider going to another denomination, but I realized, you know, intellectually and logically, like how silly that is. And especially given that many of the powerful religious connections I've had in my life certainly have not been within the Catholic church. But, um, 
I don't know. I just think that's yeah. really, really good advice and one I'm going to personally take to heart. So yeah. I was even, I think it's hard in general to shake like anything about your childhood that has like stuck with you. But my parents actually just recently converted to a Presbyterian church. So Ooh. I like grew up Catholic. Spicy. Spicy. <laughs> I don't really even know. I'm sure, Aaron, you know the like differences and stuff, but um, <laughs> they. It sounds like so. Well, I'll just tell the full story. It's not that long, but they. We like grew up Catholic, and my parents were married in a Catholic church, like the whole thing. And I went through my first Holy Communion. I didn't get confirmed or anything like that. I stopped going. So there was like this gap of time between like my early elementary school period and then throughout high school and like into college there was really nothing and then my parents there's this beautiful presbyterian church it's like the most gorgeous church in our community so that's like the initial draw i think and i made an offhand comment when i was in college i was like i would love to get married there because it looks like a castle (laughs) and i don't think that's the only reason why my parents joined but i think in the back of my mom's mind she's gonna listen to this so she can tell me if that was a deciding factor or not. I'm just, I'm joshing her, but, um, (laughs) she, we started going there on Christmas because they have a beautiful like choir and stuff. And we realized we liked the fact that they had men and women preaching people of color. It was much more diverse. The sermons were very engaging and stuff, obviously a beautiful setting. They didn't do communion, which I, I think the Episcopal Church does do communion, from what you've said. Yes, um, every- Yeah. And that was something that didn't really resonate with us. It didn't resonate with my family. So we were like, okay, this is something that, you know, we like the music, we like the message, the communion aspect we didn't really love. Um, so, and my parents have joined, they have a lot of community groups and stuff, and my parents have both gone through, I don't know what they call it, but it's like, you have to get up in front of the group and be like, I've accepted God and I've accepted Jesus and like give your name and interest, so to speak, um, to the church. So they've done that. That's like a sorority reference. I don't know how yeah, else to describe is. it. Um, <laughs> but it's been really great. And I think it's great that later in life, you know, my parents are of the boomer generation that they were able to find that and find something that they had grown up in the Catholic church and it served them for a period of time, but it didn't serve them forever. And as our family is evolving, going to the Presbyterian church, when I go home, I enjoy going. I think it's a beautiful service, um, has been really great. So I encourage people, even if they are kind of stuck in what they grew up in to explore something else. And, and even, you know, having that Presbyterian experience, it's not like you're leaving behind your Catholic roots or what what made you what you are now um it's just taking on a different form so yeah definitely it's like I think people feel very very much like oh if I do something different it means that I'm making a value judgment on what was happening before and Mm -hmm. while there's certain things about the catholic church that I don't love that I'm not going to get into like there are aspects of it that I did enjoy and I you know, as much as I probably protested when I was younger, like having that Sunday school experience of learning the Judeo-Christian values and learning the Bible, it makes you, even if you're agnostic, which I identify as today, like it makes you part of the Western world in a way that if you didn't have that education in some way, you feel not as included even in the secular community. So um, I definitely don't regret having that. And I loved wearing my little white dress in second grade at my first (laughs) Holy Communion, and I really enjoyed that rite of passage. Um, But for where my family is now, like, having the Presbyterian experience is better for us. So I think it's good. It's always ever-evolving. So, uh, Erin, I guess, unless, Maddie, you have um, other questions, I have my final question. Great. uh, Before we jump into our archery range is what... How do you feel the future? I know that's, again, I'm asking a lot of really broad, open-ended questions today just to test our guests. <laughs> um, but do you feel like the future of Christianity for millennials is 
positive again because we go back to everyone says oh the church is dying and christianity is dying and people aren't going to church and people aren't engaging in their faith um do you feel hopeful or less hopeful about the growth of i guess the church in the future and and millennials and gen z's relationship with a god um it depends on the day how (laughs) i would answer that question (laughs) You know, certainly as a, as a priest of a very traditional setting, you know, where we have to think about how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to keep this uh, building with beautiful Tiffany windows uh, for generations to come? Um, and how are we going to continually be a presence in our community over the years uh, with a dying congregation? It certainly is, is challenging. Um, but I think... I think we always have to be hopeful. That's that's who we are as Christians is to be hopeful um, because we are people who believe in the resurrection, which means that Jesus is with us from this life to the next. And so um, if we lose that hope, we're doomed from the beginning. Um, so I think I think Christianity will take a different form because it has throughout the centuries. We want to think that it's always been the same as it is now, but it's it's always evolving because we're always evolving. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm curious and excited to see what it's going to look like, you know, 10, 22 years from now um, and what we'll be able to do to hopefully adapt with it and what we'll be able to uh, see happening in our culture. I think, I think that our positive message and, you know, message of love is something that our culture desperately needs more of. And so I think we have to keep working to share that message because it's getting lost, um, particularly with our current um, culture and climate, unfortunately. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Erin. Do you have any final thoughts before we move into the archery range? Uh, no, it's been fun. Uh, (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I feel like I've been preaching a little bit, so I'm sorry about that, but no, no, this is amazing. This is amazing. Uh, By the way, my dad is going to be very excited to hear you on the podcast, Erin. Hi, Dr. Keats. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Let's, okay, so we're moving into the archery range. Just for fun to end, we're going to ask you a series of rapid-fire questions. You can just answer, if we say your favorite, it can be a favorite, just whatever comes to your mind. Oh, man, this I'm getting, like, Jeopardy. It's um, a little bit. Anxiety a little bit. right now. <laughs> no, don't, don't have anxiety. All right, are you ready? Maddie, do you want to start? Sure. Favorite book? Favorite book. Um, Pride and Prejudice favorite movie um favorite movie i don't know or favorite pride and prejudice adaptation <laughs> i do like the newer one that this with Kara knightley yeah yeah it's a good one i do favorite part of the bible i'm actually gonna go with um philippians Ooh. again it's very it's very positive, and I, I kind of, I like the way Paul words things in Philippines. Favorite childhood snack? Um, fruit roll-up. Mm. <laughs> Favorite place you've traveled but never lived? Traveled but never lived. I'd have to say Nashville. Nice. I haven't been there, but I want to go. They have really great bars. <laughs> Uh, favorite, um, ooh, let's see, favorite church song? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Or you can say, I don't like singing. (laughs) Uh, I would say church is one foundation. Okay. Nice. Favorite television show? television show um well unfortunately the big bang is now ending oh yeah had a long run it did have a long run but i have so many i mean i love how i met your mother that was a good one it was so good big sitcom fan yeah the office love it (laughs) all right i have one last final arrow uh 
So Will or Kate or Harry and Meghan? Ooh. Ooh. That's a tough one. I know. I mean, I, I kind of like the Harry and Meghan, man. They're, yeah, that's they're making their choice. own path. Erin, <laughs> I was living with Erin when Will and Kate got married, and she was up at like 4 a.m. <laughs> watching that wedding live on the TV. It was oh, amazing. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, so good. That's awesome. All right, Erin, thank you so much. Um, is there any place our listeners can find you if they want to hear more from you? Do you have a, uh, and if, if you, you don't have any found. public social media or website or anything, we don't have to send people you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, but I'm if you on, do, I'm on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, okay. But I, I don't really post anything um, professionally there. It's more of like a personal thing but uh certainly if you have, if anybody has any other questions or want to talk further i'm available to do that so do you have like free. an email or something where people oh. can contact you or i do um so my work email is uh vicar v-i-c-a-r at trinity newcastle.org awesome so. thank you so much well. for giving us so All much right. of your time to of talk course. this thank you, <laughs> happy to and please give little baby Chelsea many kisses from us. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> All right, campers, thank you for joining us. And thank you for taking part in this special three-part series on millennials and Christianity. Okay. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, resident youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.